We are going to jump into the second week of our uh, series, focusing in on what the angels said uh, in Luke chapter 2. So if you want to open up to Luke chapter 2, I actually find today's message, which is on a topic that I've taught on many times, almost humorously at odds uh, with our current situation. Um, But here we go. There are a lot of things as believers that uh, we experience that might be humorously at odds with what's going on in the world around us. Maybe, uh, Maybe right now you are a parent trying to balance work and kids at home, and financial realities impacted by your ability to do both. You've already missed too much work. Kids are falling behind. Kids are restless because it's raining on sheer ice outside. Social activities have been canceled, and you feel like you're teetering. Maybe you've been chasing the rabbit down the cable news rabbit hole. You see corruption, you see censorship, you see violation of rights, you see hypocrisy, you see cold indifference to human needs while those in power lay in the lap of luxury. Maybe you're a teen or a young adult who'd like nothing more than to get on with life, but things have been put on hold. Things have been complicated. Important things have been canceled altogether. And quite frankly, some of the adults in your life are a little more worked up and a little more stressed out these days. Regardless of your situation, here's the strategy. I want you to to go out at night and find an empty field with some sheep. Let me tell you how this worked out for some people who did that, just to get away, just to get out of town for a bit. Luke 2, verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. This is not the chill that they had come out looking for. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Because I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes uh, or in cloth lying in a manger. And after the angel said this, suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace among men. Last week, uh, Philip Lick joined us. I just really enjoyed actually hearing him share his message. 
Philip focused on joy that comes with good news. And this morning, what I want to explore, and this is the subject that I find uh, to be tremendously at odds with our current experience, and that is uh, the subject of peace, the promise of peace. What the angels say is that the fruit of this message, this good news message, this good news message of great joy is this, peace on the earth. This is not only a prediction the angels make, this is a core component of the prophetic expectation of what the Messiah would bring. You go all the way back hundreds of years previously to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no termination date or expiration date on the peace that this child brings on the earth. Jesus, in preparing to, to part ways with his disciples, in preparing to be taken back to his father, leaving his, his close friends behind, he says this in John 14, 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not in the way that the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let your hearts be afraid. The peace of God, and this is what I want to unpack a little bit this morning. Uh, the peace of God, this peace that Jesus says, I give to you, that peace is a, is a transcendent, an overwhelming, permeating sense of calm and confidence that descends upon a person, comes from God, descends upon a person, and is not impacted by external realities. You guys know the passage, Philippians 4. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but present your request to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make God aware. And then Paul says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, which I realize for some of you seems like an impossible thing to command. Not try to be less anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Present your request to the Lord and the peace of God, which is beyond comprehension, which is beyond our understanding, which is contrary to what our situation and our circumstances would call for, that peace will, will take up a protective 
uh, role in your heart and your mind. This peace isn't a product of self-talk. It's not something you hype yourself into. It's not the result of disengagement. It's not a peace that comes from just ignoring the world around you. It is a gift. Jesus said, it is my peace I give to you. I am providing you with something. It is a gift that comes from God as we grow in the knowledge of God and as our lives move into alignment with God. Peace is the byproduct. Peace is not the goal that we pursue. Peace is the byproduct of pursuing God and aligning ourselves with him. Peace comes. It is transcendent. transcendent. It is overwhelming. It is, permeates every area of our life. It is a sense of calm and confidence that descends upon us and puts us at odds with the world around us. So, you tracking so far? You got the definition of peace? This is what I want to do. In the short amount of time that we have, I want to walk through three uh, truths about God, truths about his disposition towards us, that when we grow in our understanding of these truths, again, as a byproduct of that understanding, we find peace. Uh, we are able to walk in the promise of peace. But to better help uh, us understand, and this has better helped me understand, I want to use one simple working analogy to help us, uh, to help illustrate these three truths. This is an analogy that works for me. Uh, some of you have heard me say, I've said this a number of times, that parenting is a parable. All of it. Parenting is a parable that God has given to us to help us better understand our relationship with him, right? God is our father. I am a father. Parenting is a parable. One of my assignments as a parent is to keep my kids alive and healthy, which would seem like a fairly straightforward task, but not always. I actually, last winter, I received a video, a homemade video via Google Hangouts of my two younger sons, one filming the other, and the video uh, began this way. Um, he is going to jump off of the second story balcony, but don't worry, we know it's okay, because we already tried it once. <laughs> Which was relieving to me. It's my job as a parent to keep my kids alive and healthy, so that's not my, that's not my analogy. Here's the analogy, ready? There's a scenario, this is played out a thousand times in my own home in one shape or form, and it goes like this. Um, one of my kids, um, especially when they were younger, approaches me with a king-size Snickers, which they're making those things like the size of Duraflame fire logs. I mean, they're just ginormous, right? So they cradle a king-size Snicker and approach me and say, can I eat it? Simple question. Well, a couple things. First of all, 
I don't want you to eat the whole thing because that's gross. That is too much sugar. The second issue is I don't want you eating that right before dinner because your dinner is nutritious and will support your bodily and brain development and that candy bar will actually do the contrary. So I don't want you to eat it now, right before dinner. The third issue is I don't want you developing over the long run eating habits that are unhealthy and later in life will become hard to break, right? I don't want you getting in the habit of consuming large quantities of sugar all at once because that might cause you problems later. Fourth issue is I do want you to learn the benefits of both delayed gratification and temperance, right? By saying, I can enjoy this later, and when I do enjoy it later, I can enjoy it in a smaller quantity. I don't have to eat myself sick. And if they persist in pleading, then there's now a fifth issue that is of concern to me as a parent. I don't want you to learn that by whining and fussing that you get what you want. And then, if it escalates even further, now a sixth issue has come into play. I don't want you to grow up thinking that it's okay for you to be disrespectful towards your parents who put limitations on you when you don't get what you want. Last and final issue, number seven. I want my child to develop an internal confidence that when I say, this is better, it's better. I want my child in their heart to believe in my wisdom, to say, I don't get it. I think it's stupid to not be able to eat a Duralog before dinner made out of sugar, but my dad, who loves me and cares for me, and and, and it generally seems to be interested in my well-being, if he says that that's not okay, then it must not be okay. So are you working with the metaphor so far? You tracking? Okay. It's a candy bar. It's a kid in a candy bar. Okay. Three truths regarding uh, God and his disposition towards us that when we grow in our understanding of these three truths, we grow in our experience of the gift of peace. Again, remember, pursuing God, peace is a byproduct. Here's the first one, first truth. God's purposes are good and personal. God's purposes are good and personal. Let me explain what I mean by that. Romans 12, 2, uh, Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Become something other than what the world is, and that happens when your mind is renewed. And what happens when your mind is renewed, he says, and then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
It says, as your mind is renewed by God, you will, you will be able to see and understand not just God's goodwill, but God's pleasing will, meaning you will find it attractive. And not just attractive, but you'll discover that his will is perfect. What we, what we languish in, even as believers, and I encounter this all the time, is the conviction that his purposes are right, which is different than saying that they're good, even though they are right. I know that I'm, I'm not supposed to eat this candy bar, and I know that my dad is doing the right thing because, you know, that's what dads are supposed to do. That's what parents do. It's not just that God does what is right by some inaccessible high standard or heavenly standard. God does what is good and his goodness, the goodness of his purpose towards me is personally directed towards me. It's not just, and I want you to hear this for those who are listening, it's not just a conviction that God's greater purposes in the world at large will be ultimately good. It's that God's purposes are good for you. His intentions are for you. His, his purposes are uh, good for you today to experience and to walk in. God's purposes are good and personal. Number two, God's prize is glorious and eternal. So along the path, we accept this truth that his purposes are good, that they're personal, that I, can, that I can access God's purposes in my own life and experience his good purposes in my own day-to-day -day existence. But secondly, that the, the end result, the destination, is God's prize, which is glorious and eternal. James 1.17, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The gospel is the good news that by faith alone, through grace alone, on the basis of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, that sinners have full and final joy in God alone. He is our glorious and eternal prize. Psalm 73, one of my favorites. Uh, Asaph, who was a worship leader for King David, is wrestling with this, this growing angst in him where he looks out at people who are not following the Lord and is jealous of their lives. They seem to be living better lives. They seem to be experiencing better outcomes. 
But at the end of the journey of his heart, this is where he lands. Psalm 73, verse 25. Who am I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. To, to confuse the prize, the reward, as glorious and eternal, is to view the, the gifts of God as disappointing and fleeting. It's because we've misunderstood the nature of those gifts. Your job is to authorize me to have this giant Snickers 20 minutes before dinner, and you didn't do that. Now, I can choose to disregard the authority of God and consume that Snickers. And in doing so, I discover that these things that I had set my attention on, my focus on, if I could have that thing, I find disappointment and I find the reward to be fleeting. some of the things in your life that you've craved the most are also the source of the most heartache because so much of your expectation was resting on something that would ultimately fail, that is fleeting. God says, no, 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 I have a prize that is glorious and eternal. I give myself to you. So God's purposes are good, they're personal. You can access his purposes, his good purposes now, today. His prize is glorious and eternal. It does not disappoint. It is not fleeting. It's permanent. And lastly, and this is a real critical piece, lastly, God's pain is kind and brief. And this is what I mean by that. I mean the pain that God has allowed, the pain that God has even walked you into in your life. God's pain is kind and brief. Do you believe that painful circumstances, painful situations in your life is the result of God acting against you because you're a sinner? First John 4, 8 says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love gets rid of fear. It drives it out because fear involves punishment. Fear is the expectation that God is, is trying to harm me. He's, been, he's acting punitively towards me. But guess what? I have the righteousness of Christ. I have been fully accepted by God. I have full access to the love of God, and so I don't fear punishment. And yet, I experience hardship and adversity all the time. So how do I understand it? Hebrews 12:11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. And I would describe discipline as as any sort of adversity in my life that reveals my inferior desires, 
What I wanted more than anything, what I wanted more than anything right now is to eat that Snickers. I don't have an appetite right now for a life of physical health, for a life of healthy habits. I don't crave that in this moment. What I crave is this immediate gratification. Discipline reveals those inferior desires. It reveals my attachments. It reveals my idols. As I'm put in under the press, all discipline, uh, Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline for the moment doesn't seem to be joyful. It's sorrowful. That's what it is. Yet to those who are trained by it, to those who tune in, to those who engage with adversity, believing that pain, uh, that God's pain is kind and brief, that his intentions towards me are still good, that this will not last forever, to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I was driving home last week, I was headed through town, it was the night that it snowed like a ton and then got wet. And as I was headed through town, leaving the office here, I noticed that my oldest, Sayla, was in front of me uh, in her vehicle, in her Toyota. And we turned to go up, we now live up just up West Hill a little bit. We turned to go up West Hill and as we were headed up the bottom of West Hill, uh, she started slowing down and just before we were reached Eric Lane, which is our new street, she, she stopped in the road, and I could hear uh, her tires spinning on the ice. And so I did what any uh, loving father would do. I gently pulled up and placed my front bumper on her rear bumper, and I gunned it and shoved her off of West Hill Road up onto Eric Lane. And the, the snow on Eric Lane was still pretty deep, but uh, she stopped. And so I waited for a second, and I thought, well, I didn't, she didn't get enough momentum to make it down to our driveway. So again, being the loving father that I am, I placed my bumper on her bumper and shoved her again and pushed her, got her really going. And she went a little bit and then stopped. We were not to our driveway yet. So I waited for a second, I thought, something must be wrong. So I uh, jumped out of my truck and I walked up, and she didn't immediately roll down the window, so I knocked on the window and she cracked the window down, and she said, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> it actually hadn't crossed my mind that uh, my oldest daughter's take on this situation as it was unfolding was that someone was angry at her stopping in the road and had decided to deal with the situation simply by shoving her repeatedly off of the road. If you don't understand the loving nature of the way that God uses even adversity and suffering in our lives for a brief time to train us and move us towards his good purposes, then of course you don't have peace. You've misunderstood the situation. You believe it's just evil forces acting against you. 
And yet behind it is a loving father who's trying to care for you and provide for you. This is why Paul says in Romans 8.18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time to be unworthy of comparison to the glory that is to be revealed. Paul says, yes, I am experiencing pain in my current situation, but I know that the pain that God allows even brings into my life, I know that his pain is kind. His intentions are kind. It's not his intention to rob me of goodness. It is his intention to bring me towards the greatest good and that that suffering is brief. Paul says it's not even, you can't even hold it up in comparison to the glory that will be revealed when we receive our prize on the, at, the, at the end of the road of living out his purposes. The angel said, glory to God in the highest and on peace on earth, peace among men. And then there's a little phrase, with whom he is well pleased. The joy is to all men. It's accessible to all. But the peace is experienced by those who through faith in Jesus have have brought themselves into relationship with God who know his good pleasure, who experience his good pleasure, his goodness, his kindness, his paternal care. Joy is available to all. Peace will be experienced by some. God, I pray for every person who's listening right now that by your spirit, as they look to you, as they grow in the knowledge of you, as they seek to understand, to better understand your ways and your will and your heart. God, would you grant the gift of peace? As we come into this Christmas season, whatever way that our life, our circumstances, our situations, our relationships have not provided the joy and the peace that we had hoped for, God, direct us to you. Teach us to look to you that that we may fully walk in the joy, the peace that these angels promised 2,000 years ago through a child given to us, a Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.